This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Good morning. And good evening, Tuesday evening, ladies. And good early morning, Thursday morning, ladies. You ladies must be excited that you will not have to get up at 6 a.m. for the rest of the summer. You get a little break from that 6 a.m. Still amazed that you do that, those Thursday morning ladies. Well, we've come to the end of our study, and in the last two chapters of the book of Joshua, chapters 23 and 24, we are given two moving sermons by Joshua as he's nearing his death. What are his final words? What is on his heart to share? In chapter 23, his sermon addresses the leaders of Israel, and in chapter 24, Joshua's sermon addresses the people altogether. In both these messages, there's four main focuses that I'm going to walk through this morning. The first one is that God is faithful. That's the first slide. Joshua reminds the Israelites and their leaders that their enemies had been defeated because the Lord their God had fought for them. He had delivered them from their hands. All of their victories were because of the power of God. He delivered them this far, and he will continue to do so. The Lord is faithful. Joshua also reminds the people of God's faithfulness by recounting the history of the people. He reminds them that Abraham was called out by God from a pagan nation to find a new nation to which God would pour out his blessing so that they might be a blessing to the world. God chose Abraham. He points this out. God chose Abraham while he was still worshiping. His father was worshiping other gods. It's a reminder that God is the pursuer and the instigator of our faith. He reminds the people that they are called, not because they are righteous, but by God's grace. Again, Abraham was not righteous prior to being called, but he answered God's call with faith, which therefore made him righteous. Joshua also reminds them of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's the miracle in itself as he brings up their names because these people would know that each of those three patriarchs, their wives, were barren. So it's a miracle in the fact that here they are today as a a nation multiplied from three patriarchs with three barren wives. Again, it's God's providence that they are here. He reminds them that when they were in bondage in slavery in Egypt, it was God who delivered them. It was God who brought them out. It was God who sent the plagues to Egypt and convinced Pharaoh to let his people go. It was God who crushed the Egyptian army as they crossed the Red Sea. Again, it was God who provided amidst their trials and their tribulations. The importance of this recap is that Joshua is pointing to God's faithful, de- faithful deliverance, his provision, to God keeping his promise to bless the nation and multiply it. And the promise here that Joshua is reminding them of is to remind them of the t- entire foundation of their faith. The promise is the covenant made with Abraham. It's the foundation of the fulfillment of the gospel. It's the whole message in our Bible. This whole Bible reminds us of the promise that our God is faithful, that he's called us not because we are righteous, but because he chose us and he loves us. 
This whole story is a love story with you being the bride that he pursues. Joshua's next focus of his sermons is an exhortation to the people to be faithful. He says this in several of the verses. He says, be very strong, be careful to obey. It takes strength to, to um, be obedient. He says, do not associate with the nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of the gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. In other words, recognize the idols around you. Recognize those things that will lead you astray and do not bow down to them. Do not follow them. What are the gods that we, we follow? What do we lead? Um, how do we go astray? He says, but hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. This word, hold fast to God, is the same word as cleave used in Genesis. And it's used in regards to the marriage relationship. It says, leave your old and cleave to the new. Cleave to the Lord your God. Come to him in union and hold fast to him. Be careful to love the Lord your God. Fear the Lord. Serve him with all faithfulness. And again, he reminds them, throw away the other idols. Yield your hearts to God, the Lord God of Israel. That's what it looks like to be faithful, and he's calling the people to be faithful. The third thing that Joshua reminds the Israelites is that there is consequences if they are not faithful. In other words, obedience to God's commands are essential to continued enjoyment of his blessing. You're not able to serve the God. Um, it says, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. This is a warning to the people. Again, that there's consequences to sin. There's consequences to disobedience. If you do not obey, if you serve other gods, if you do not cleave to God, if you do not keep him as your first love, there are consequences. And we have to remember that what he's saying here, he's not saying that you will lose God's favor, God's grace, but there are consequences. You will fall out of the blessing. You will fall away from what I have that is best for you. God had given Moses, well, the Israelite people, through Moses, what is called the Mosaic Covenant. It's the Ten Commandments, and we see that story in Exodus 19 and 20. And those, that covenant was a way that the people were to live, a way that they were to be set apart, to be holy, to honor God with their lives. And that covenant on Mount Sinai, given through Moses, was bilateral. It was conditional. It was temporal. It meant, if you do this, then I will do this. If you obey, then I will bless. Their culture was familiar with this type of covenant, and it was referred to as a Caesarean vassal covenant. Caesarean means one who is sovereign, where vassal means a small city-state. So God is the sovereign one, making the covenant with the small city-state of Israel. And it's conditional. It's saying, obey my commands, and then you will be blessed and you will be a blessing to the world. The blessing is dependent upon obedience. Disobedience brings discipline. We'll never lose our salvation, but we can lose God's blessing. And we lose it through the consequence of sin. 
Lastly, he gives a call to action. He, Joshua reminds the people that they have a choice. He says to them, choose for yourself whom you will serve. And I love this because what Joshua says to them, he says, but for me, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now we know that this isn't the first time that Joshua has chosen to serve the, the Lord. Remember the story that when we're first introduced to Joshua in the book of um, Exodus, he's sent out with the 12 spies. Moses sends him out as part of the 12 spies, along with Caleb. And they go and look at the promised land, and they come back and give a report. Well, Joshua and Caleb come back, and even though they saw giants, even though they saw um, obstacles that seemed impossible to conquer, they had faith that God would overcome. They had faith in the character of God. And here it is. Again, Joshua reminds them, I will serve the Lord. He is a faithful servant from the beginning, and here again in the end, we find him recommitting, saying, I will serve the Lord. I will not let obstacles or trials or troubles or anything that is ahead of me keep me from following God. I will not shrink back in fear. I will obey the Lord. Me and my household will serve the Lord. So we all have a choice too. And the question that this passage brings to us is who will we serve? Will we serve sin? Will we return to the bondage that we were in before we came to know Christ? Or will we choose to faithfully follow God? And you, compare, you can compare returning to sin to returning to the land of Egypt where the Israelites were slaves, captive to their cruel punishment. Sin ruled over their lives and kept them in bondage. Will we choose that? Will we choose to go back where sin rules our lives? Or will we live in the freedom found in Jesus Christ? Living as slaves in Egypt to the bondage of sin or living in freedom to Christ? What will we choose? Or will we choose like the Israelites did once they were delivered out of slavery? Will we choose to wander in the wilderness? I have a map up here, and if you notice where they left Egypt on the left side of the map, and over on the right is them entering right before they entered into the Promised Land, if they would have taken a direct route, it would have actually taken them only 11 days. <laughs> but instead, because of their doubt, because of their mistrust, because of their impatience, it took 40 years. 11 days versus 40 years. What happens when we doubt God's heart? We wander. We wander in the wilderness. We never enjoy the fullness of what he has for us. We complain when things don't go our way. We get impatient when we get tired of waiting for God. We, keep, we start looking back and yearning for the past, thinking that things were much better when we were in bondage to sin. We see the obstacles before us, like the spies, as insurmountable. Like, wow, that's a beautiful place that God wants to take me, but there's no way I could get there because there's no way I could, that God could overcome that obstacle. Will we choose to wander in the wilderness? Or will we be obedient and choose to serve God? The third choice we have is will we choose to be faithful and experience the promised land? 
the, the land of Canaan in Exodus, it was described as spacious, flowing with milk and honey, good, beautiful home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. Will we choose to live in the land of Canaan, a land of blessing, following God, claiming victory each time we face an obstacle or an enemy, obeying God's commands like Joshua led the people to, remembering that it is not our power that brings down the enemy, but trusting God to provide. They overcame giants in the land of Canaan. They lived in dependence upon God. They circled massive walls, trusting that the Lord would deliver those walls, that the Lord would crush those walls and bring them down. They knew that God was good and sovereign. They appreciated the gifts that the Lord gave them. <clears throat> they remembered that He is faithful. They walked with Him and honored Him. The fourth choice we have is, will we choose to live in exile? Now, after this passage, we know the rest of the story. We know that the Israelites were faithful through the time of Joshua, but then we enter into the book of Judges and the rest of the history, and we see a pattern of turning away from God, following other idols, letting things seep into their life. And at that point, the prophets came and kept... Uh, um, calling out to the people to return to their Lord, their Savior. And Israel would no longer remain holy. And so God, again, as a form of discipline, He allowed them to go into exile. He allowed Babylon, Babylonia to overcome them. <clears throat> and they went into exile for 70 years. <clears throat> when we allow idols to seep into our life and take our attention away from devotion to God and His work and His call on our lives, we no longer remain in the land of Canaan. We no longer remain in the promised land. And we end up in exile, separated from God, separated from his provision, from his blessing. Not separated from his love, but separated from the blessings until we return. Thankfully, at this point in Israel's story, their response to Joshua's question of who will you serve is a resounding yes. We will serve the Lord because He is our God. I love how they personalize it. They've heard His plea to be faithful. And they're saying, yes, we are on board. We, we're, we're not going back. We're going to stay in the promised land. We're going to stay in the land of blessing. We're going to be faithful and push through and face our obstacles here. Joshua presses them a little bit more. Their first response, after their first response, Joshua presses them a little more. He says, will you really be faithful? And they say, no, we will serve the Lord. And then a third time they say, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And I love this because it reminds us of when Jesus pressed Peter in the garden, or after Peter had betrayed him. He said, Peter, do you love me? And he had to ask Peter that question three times. And the third time, after Peter said, Yes, Lord, I love you, with agape love, then he said, Feed my sheep. See, we all get to choose. Are we for God, or are we against? 
there's no neutrality. We can either choose to experience the promised land, living in dependency on God and enjoying his presence and being used by him and being a blessing to those around us, or we can return to our former lives before Christ, or we can wander in the doubt of the desert and just waste our days wandering, or we can pursue other gods and live in exile and separation away from God. We all have a choice. Who will we serve? After the third affirmation of the people saying that they would serve the Lord, Joshua then renews the covenant with the people. And I love this. It's significant that he does this at this time. In verse 24-25 it says, On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he drew up for them decrees and laws. I love that he did this, drew up this covenant at this time. And you have to think, why is it so significant that he does this after their affirmation, after their commitment? And first you have to understand what a covenant is. The definition of a covenant is an agreement that is usually formal, solemn, and intended as binding. It's a security or a pledge. It's a promise, and it has legal authority. This weekend, I had the privilege of going to a wedding and watching two people commit to each other. As they turned to each other, they looked in each other's eyes, and with their vows, they committed to one another, to serving one another, to obeying one another, to loving one another. And it was a beautiful reminder of what a covenant looks like. But in this case, this covenant that we're looking at, that Joshua is referring to, is different even than a marriage, than what we have our present day marriage covenant, because it's not dependent upon two humans. It's only dependent upon God. It's a unilateral covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. It's an eternal covenant. It means it's only dependent upon God, not on us. Because we all know what our tendency is. But we look to God alone to fulfill this covenant. He did this in Genesis 12, 15, and 17 as he made the covenant with Abraham. And he passed between the pieces of slain animals. This covenant is irrevocable because of who God is, because of his faithfulness. Joshua has reminded the people that God is faithful. He's not going anywhere. Even when you wander, even when you turn your back, even when you fail, even when you fall, even when you forget, no matter what, God is faithful. That's the whole basis of our whole Bible, is God's faithfulness. It starts in Genesis. His pursuit of us, Genesis 3.17, is the promise. And it's the echo that keeps getting louder and louder that God is coming for his bride. He will not forget you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Nothing can change his love for you. That is the message Joshua wanted to have for his people. He wanted them to remember God's faithfulness. No matter how far you wander, no matter how much you mess up, no matter what you have done, God's posture is the same. He stands there, his arms open wide. You can picture it, a smile on his face, a glimmer in his eye, and he's saying, come back to me. Come back to me, my beloved daughter. I love you.
His covenant vow to you, his beloved bride, is I will love you with an everlasting love. I will fight for you. I will protect you. You don't have to protect yourself. I will protect you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You may have been rejected or abandoned in the past, but that's not who I am. I will never leave you. I will never reject you. Nothing can change my love for you. So, beloved bride, stay close, lest you forget me. Spend time with me as I continue to reveal the depths of my love for you. Stay close, lest you get distracted and led astray. And I will reveal the truth to you as you spend time with me in my word, in fellowship, in study, in prayer, in worship. Stay close to me, lest your enemies attack. You do not have to go it alone. I am your constant companion. I am with you wherever you go. I will go before you. I will go behind you. I will hem you in. I am with you. This is the everlasting covenant of God. This is the covenant of our Bible. This is the God we serve. After renewing the covenant with the people, Joshua set up a reminder of their promise to be faithful. And it says that he put up a stone of remembrance. I imagine that stone, as they looked at it, it reminded them that the Lord, they could hear the Lord saying, I am with you. I am trustworthy. I am loving. I am faithful. And I want to ask each of you ladies, do you have stones like that, stones of remembrance, whatever they may be in your life, where you can look back and hear God saying, I love you, I see you, I'm with you. And it's so important for us to make those markers in our life, to remember his faithfulness, because we are a forgetful people and we are prone to wander. So we need reminders in our lives, practical reminders showing us, pointing us back to him. The book of Joshua closes with the death, the death of Joshua at age 110. And I thought turning 50 was a big deal. <laughs> the author reveals Joshua's faithfulness by referring to him as a servant of the Lord. I love this. And then he describes Joshua being buried as a servant of the Lord. And the story closes with three faithful servants' bones being buried in the promised land. Don't you want your um, legacy to be buried, to be remembered, to be put um, in place in the promised land. Do you want to end well? Do you want your story to be one of faithfulness? And the author shares that Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. So at that point, Israel was faithful. They had followed their faithful leader, they remained faithful, and they, they continued to be faithful to God. To close with, I want to share a letter that a friend shared with me that she received this Mother's Day from her daughter. And the reason I'm sharing this is because the relationship gives us a glimpse of how the unconditional love of a mother has impacted her daughter. It gives us an understanding of how experiencing and knowing the unconditional love of God 
can impact our relationship with him. It's a beautiful picture of that forgiveness and grace and faithfulness. The letter starts out, Mom, I cannot begin to describe in words how much you mean to me and how grateful I am that you are my mom. From the day I was born, you have never once stopped unconditionally loving me. In this year, I learned what unconditional truly means. These past two years have been the hardest years of my life, but because of you, they have, been, they have also been the best. You support me with the love to live my life. Last year, I did the hardest thing I've ever done. I recovered from depression, but with your support, I did it. You were with me every step of the way. You were there through all of the meltdowns, the tears, screaming, crying, and you never once left. I am beyond grateful for you because of this. This year, I've made a lot of terrible decisions. I've made so many mistakes, but through every single one, you have been there to pick me up off my feet and tell me that life goes on. Through your disappointment, you never once stopped loving me. I am so grateful to have a mother that gives me the freedom to make mistakes and learn from them. After losing your trust countless times, you continue to give me another chance. High school is such a hard time, but because you are by my side, I know I can get through it, and I know there is life ahead of me that is worth living. I know there will be more trials ahead, but we have already gone through so much that I know we can get through anything. I am so grateful God made you my mother. I love you. Is that not amazing? Do you hear the whisper of God's love in there, his unconditional love to us as his daughter, as his bride? No matter what we've done, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter where we go, he will love us with an everlasting love. He will be there to pick us up, to put us back on our feet, to walk alongside us, and to conquer any obstacles we face. He is faithful, so we can be faithful. That is the God that we love and serve. That is the God of this Bible, and I pray that you ladies stay in it. Don't let this word go away from your heart. Keep it close. Keep it near and dear. Keep your relationship. Spend time with him. Keep it at the forefront. He is faithful. Therefore, let us have courage to be faithful. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for Joshua's last words, for his exhortation, Lord, to remain faithful. If there is anything, Lord, that we can do to honor you, to return the love that you have poured out to us, to you, it is to be faithful. It is to stay on the path, to not give up, to not go astray, to not wander, but to keep turning back to you, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Thank you for your love. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for your faithfulness. And may we be women that are faithful. In Jesus' name. Amen.